This episode is being sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. They are fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and providing accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. I couldn't believe my eyes. I just remember walking down the hallway and looking at the pregnancy test and being like, this is it. This is what people that get pregnant through IVF that have these, you know, at-home test results that are good. This is what it feels like. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi, guys. I'm Tara Lipinski. And this is Todd Kapastashi. And you're listening to the ninth episode of Unexpecting. Episode nine. Yeah, getting in there. Yeah, and from the looks of things, it looks like you're getting awfully comfortable <laughs> with our audience. You can't, I don't know if you can see her, but she's wearing sweats and looks like she's about to roll into bed after this <laughs> with full makeup on. No, I, I went with sweats today. You never know. Maybe in a few weeks, it'll just be pajamas. <laughs> Maybe, you know, episode 12, we're going to be nude doing this. We're not going to care at all. We're getting way too comfortable. Yeah, it is in our home. No one sees us <laughs> except everyone on YouTube. <laughs> it is one thing to say about this podcast. I feel like, I, I don't know this for sure. I'm not a podcast expert, but I would assume most podcasts are done like in studios or you know, there's like buildings you go into and there's podcasts set up. So like there's a comfort level probably not achieved that we're maybe achieving here. We're probably saying a lot of things we definitely wouldn't say if there was, there's just so you guys know too, there's not another person in our home ever no. during these. So no. it's just you and I in our house, in the basement, literally just talking. This, you know what it actually makes me think of Todd is if we did like a reality show, I understand now why, like when I watch reality shows and people just are saying all of this shit and I'm like, God, like keep a little of that to yourself it's because they're so comfortable. And I feel like sometimes we do this and I walk away and like I lay in bed. I'm like, Todd, did I just like really laid it all out there? And what did I say? <laughs> well, hopefully people can relate to everything you're yes. saying. I think they can. Yes. Yeah. You're opening up in a way I never thought that you would. <laughs> so it's good. So in the last episode of Unexpecting, episode eight, we ended on, and it's weird to say it this way, but on some good news. And I only say that because, you know, it was the discovery of a problem which we know now in infertility, sometimes the discovery of a problem can actually be unbelievable news and great news. Especially in unexplained fertility. Yeah, exactly. But you told a story at the end of the podcast with a lot of details and a lot of like, and then I saw this and this, this septum and a year and a half ago. And just to sort of quickly recap that, yeah. essentially you, at the very beginning of our journey, Dr. Beck discovered a septum, which is, you know, we've talked about this as just something that can be in your uterus that can... The separation of, inside the uterus that could prevent blood flow and right. increase risk of miscarriage. Yeah. So she discovered that it was removed, kind of no big deal. 
Um, and we just moved on with our journey. And then a year and a half ago, when you had your hysteroscopy, um, the doctor noticed on some of your imagery, like a paleness and pale spots, I guess, right a, on a your pa- uterus. A paleness, especially in the place of implantation where a septum would be. And implantation is where that embryo would grow. So you definitely want blood flow there and you don't want it to be pale. <laughs> but essentially they... Our doctors chalked it up as maybe from birth control, right? Because I was taking birth control before the surgery. So that was sort of the consensus that it must have been the birth control. And in that moment, did you think any more of it? I mean, Well, you know me, the way that my brain thinks, like all the way home while you're driving me home, I probably was talking on repeat about this pale spot and then requested that Dr. Orbuck send me the images because I wanted to look. And I just, I, I just, I mean, no one's going to like pale spot, uh, near the place of implantation. So I feel like that definitely made me a little uneasy. So you then were on Instagram and follow this woman and she basically went into her doctor who discovered a residual septum, which you didn't, I had, had no never idea. heard of that, I guess. So you're like, huh, what's a residual septum? Sort of got this info from this in- Instagram post and then thought back to that imagery from a year and a half ago and said, hey, that paleness in my uterus, like what if that's a septum? So essentially you then reached back out to Dr. Back and said, I know I'm crazy, but can you just look at this two-year-old image (laughs) imagery and see what you see? And she was like, huh, like I actually think I do see a septum. Yes, it was the craziest thing. I mean, mean, we talk about this podcast being a bit of a, a mystery and it is. I felt like we were in the middle of like, a dinner murder mystery, except it's just all about fertility and there's no murders, but it just felt like all these pieces to the puzzle. And then, you know, when I read this woman's story, her her journey was so similar to mine with the miscarriages of the, of the genetically normal embryos. I just was like, ding, 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 light bulb, this is it. And it was like, I solved the murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird to say, but... I was almost bummed that the septum was a solution. It's like bummed. I was no, so no, no, happy. <laughs> no, no, but hear me out on this. It's like I wanted it to be some the craziest thing. Like I wanted to come out somehow that like you were once in New Orleans and were walking down the street and gave a mean look to like a voodoo <laughs> witch and she cast a fertility spell on you and, and forever was, you were gonna be cursed. cursed. Like I wanted it to be something so crazy because it felt like we had gone through something crazy. Uh-huh. To hear it was like oh, you have like a piece of skin that's like on the <laughs> uterus and now you can't have a baby. I was like, huh, oh, that's, that's it. That's it? Oh, cool. I okay. mean, I felt the opposite reaction. <laughs> no, believe I me, I was joyous. euphoric. Yeah, I was <laughs> joyous and euphoric, but it was a little bit like a weird yeah, anticlimactic like, yeah. solution uh, to our that's issues. That's what it is. Yeah, skin. <laughs> okay. Scar tissue, yeah, cool. Scar tissue. <laughs> um, but obviously we were just happy to potentially have an answer. It felt like the answer, right? It definitely felt like the answer. It felt like, oh my goodness, this is all making sense. We're, we get pregnant pretty easily. We're able to make these genetically normal embryos. There's no other issues they can find. Dr. Beck has literally said, I have tested you two more than any other patient I've ever tested. And it just seemed like the pregnancies were, in my mind, it kind of felt like the pregnancies were starting and then just like not getting enough, you know, like, was it the blood flow? What, whatever it was in my mind, it made sense. It was like, they just can't flourish in this environment. And we actually had a friend um, who went through three miscarriages. And it's interesting that it, 
it didn't connect immediately for me well, after that's three what I, years. That's what I was going to ask because those friends of ours who had, basically they had fertility issues for forever because of a septum. septum three miscarriages. Right. And so then why, she got it fixed and then they went on, went on to have a successful pregnancy. So was that never in the back of your head that you had one, it got removed? And well, then maybe- I just didn't know enough because I knew I had one. So I, you know, was like, oh, well, I got mine removed. She didn't get hers removed till later. I just didn't realize there could be a quote unquote residual septum that can occur. Those damn residuals. <laughs> Leave it to me to have all the rare things. <laughs> so at this point, we think we have our our answer, which is crazy. And I think it's worth kind of stopping down at this point just to ask you what advice you would give to couples going through IVF or starting IVF um, that you learned from this instance. Because we did, you know, we went three and a half years, we discovered this thing, we had all these hiccups along the way, and now maybe the picture was becoming a little more clear. Um, so like, what what advice would you give to people as they're starting to maybe even kind of prevent where we got in our journey at this point? I guess my advice would be, well, first, it, it's a personal decision. So however you want to approach it that feels good to you, go with your gut. But I would say that starting IVF or in the middle of IVF, when you start to run into problems, you know, educate yourself. The more knowledge you have, more knowledge, more power, more education, the the, the easier it is to self-advocate. You are able to research and understand exactly what's happening to your body and what medicines you're taking, what tests you should be taking. And then that gives you the opportunity to talk to your doctor on a different level. And, you know, I just realized, you know, doctors in general, not just fertility doctors, have hundreds and thousands of patients every day. Like when I go on my portal, I have 65 pages of messages and documents and tabs. And how is anyone able to retain all that information? Like this is happening to you. This is happening to your body. And I just feel like the best advice I could give is learn and to ask questions. And, you know, I think the bigger lesson I learned about IVF is when I went in, I was like, oh, it's, IVF is like the scientific exact science. And the more that I research about infertility, the more I realize that there's still so many unknowns about infertility and how successful pregnancies happen. And you walk into IVF and they have these few protocols they throw at you and a few tests, and then you hope for the best. And I think that I started to realize that there's a lot of other things at play and when a journey happens like ours, you realize you better get involved so you can figure it out, you know, sooner than later. Well, yeah, it's weird as you, just listening to you talk, I'm thinking like, you know, the advice, honestly, which is so dumb, but would be like the day you start IVF, re like research the hell out of the top 15 problems that could prevent pregnancy. But then it's like, no one's going to do that. It's like, that's the problem with these journeys is like when you start, you don't know if you're going to have a problem. Then you slowly pick up these problems and your head spinning so you're not quite sure. Because I was just, it's just crazy. I felt like you knew so much about IVF, infertility, like all this stuff, all the X's and O's. But to hear you be like, ah, I never really heard the term residual septum is like crazy to me. So it's like the advice I would potentially give, which I actually wouldn't give this, but like what you would think you would give is like, research everything. Like you should know what a residual septum <laughs> is, you know, the moment you walk into the, your fertility clinic, but that's like impossible. It's You're not going to start researching from day one. So it's almost like, I don't know, again, not to put words in your mouth, but it's like, once you start picking up problems, problems. and stuff isn't working, like really just start to research, like 
what possible problems could be. Because there aren't, yes, it's not black and white, but there aren't a thousand. There's 20. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I think that's actually perfect advice. And and maybe the advice is now that, you know, I'm taking what you just Don't said, into, I'm going to take your, <laughs> your words. I would say that if you think about it, from what I hear, it's usually the most couples might go through are two retrievals and two transfers. And that isn't that bad. You know, of course you'd like it on the first time, but usually that's a pretty quick answer. And yeah, if you go in blindly and you don't know a thing, then that's great. But if you move past those two transfers, those two retrievals, I'd say, you know, educate so that you can then self-advocate. So you and Dr. Beck, high five, you see a septum. Um, What's the plan then? So the plan was to go to an endometriosis surgeon who is really great and specializes in more of the fertility aspect of these surgeries. So whether it's your uterus, inside your uterus with scar tissue, or even with your endometriosis. And his name is Dr. Najat. And he is... He's the best. I am a huge fan. You're a big fan. Big fan. <laughs> Couldn't be a bigger fan of this man. So we decided to go to Dr. Najat and he looks at your images and does he sort of agree? Is it a three-person high five now? Like he sees a septum well, or what does he see? So I I feel like if we go back to this time, yes, Dr. Beck said she thinks she sees a septum. I believe there's a septum. I feel like you're like, what the hell is going on? And like, probably not 100% sure this is just a septum and this is going to fix our problems. I've heard this. <laughs> I've heard this before yeah. that our problems were solved. Yeah. So when we sent the images to Dr. Najat, I thought the same thing would happen because we had a phone call and I thought he was going to say like, well, we'll see in surgery. We'll see how it goes or it looks he got on the phone. He's like, no, uh, 100%. There's a, there's a septum right there. And I was like, are you kidding? And he's like, no, it's right there. It's, it's, it's a septum. And, you know, when we went to the surgery, that's all I kept saying, like while the surgery was happening is like, please let there be a septum. But he, he was so sure of it. What's really crazy about this to me too, is the listeners should keep in mind that you know, we're talking about this good news and a septum and we're going to see Dr. Najat and we love him. You are still... I mean, technically pregnant, pregnant yes. with the frozen transfer from last episode, yes. which is not a viable pregnancy. We've right. had the heartbeat scan. There isn't a heartbeat. Right. So, you know, you're living with this unviable pregnancy. We're talking about going and doing a surgery with Dr. Nizat to remove the septum and some other scar tissue. So this is like a complicated surgery, right? Just explain what this, what he would actually do in the surgery. Yeah, it actually was. And this is like, again, we talk about how I just you know, cared less and less about health things. Like he got on the phone. He's like, this is, this is definitely risky because we were going to do like three things at once. I was like, no, do it (laughs) immediately. Take me tomorrow, please. (laughs) Um, But he was going to remove the products of conception. He was going to remove the pregnancy inside the uterus, check for scar tissue. And because I was pregnant, your uterus is a little softer. And he said, it's a little bit more risky to, you know, be using all those tools inside my luck. I would have been like, okay, cool. Now we'll add a uterine rupture to the list of things. But he was like, I can't just go in 
like a, like a hysteroscopy. I have to do it as a surgery. So I'm going to have to go in laparoscopically, you know, and they, they go through your stomach and he has all these techniques of how he holds the uterus. Like he's brilliant. This man is brilliant. How he holds the uterus and then moves it so he can really get rid of the pregnancy in an easy way. And then remove the septum while he's in there and then look for other scar tissue. And then meanwhile, also do another endo surgery because most likely after all this treatment, the endometriosis has slowly crept back in. And so, because of the DNCs too, right? Well, the DNCs affect the uterus itself, but the endometriosis from, from estrogen kind of gets enraged again. So we actually, it was more like a four in one surgery. <laughs> so, and what's funny real quick is the way they put you in surgeries, they, I didn't know this, they like put you upside down. Like they tilt you upside down. So your head is like way down. So all, cause they're all up in your organs. So like everything drops down that way. So then they can really get in there without, you know, touching those intestines and things. And I think because I kept telling him so often about like the back. You like hung you from the ceiling? No, but do you remember I came out of the surgery and I had all the broken blood vessels? Oh, I, for, yeah, I forgot my, about that. Yeah. Uh, on my head, but I was like, I'll take that. <laughs> Hang me high. <laughs> After looking at your imagery and talking to you and knowing our history and our failures, how confident was he that this was our issue? He was pretty confident. And now, granted, he didn't know exactly what other test I've I've taken. And he just knew I was having these miscarriages. And he's like, there is a septum, a sizable septum where implantation occurs. So, I mean, that had to be removed. And he thought that there would be, you know, a very successful shot at pregnancy afterwards. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of one of the things I remember about him as a doctor or, you know, because I think a lot of doctors, fertility doctors, these surgeons, they're they're slow to sort of say that's the issue or slow to be really like hopeful about things. Right. He just seemed like, oh, this is your problem. Like, I'm going to get this out of here. It's a huge septum. Like, let's get it well, out. Well, he just like knew his shit. Like, even when he looked at images, fuzzy images, he's like, there's a septum. And then like, he comes out of the surgery and he shows me the video and he's like, yeah, see, here's that big septum. So it's just nice to be, you know, with a doctor that, knows his craft so, so well that that just puts you at ease. That video though was the most, I mean, the most disturbing thing that yeah, so I they, will never forget in my life. Yeah, so they take a, gosh, I don't even know how this works. Obviously one of those pin cameras that they can sort of weave throughout yeah. your body to sort of see what's going on and man, just seeing inside. He, yeah, you see uterus, inside and it was my mistake because he sent me like the 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 kids version <laughs> of it. And then I was really interested in the septum because I like needed to see the septum that I had spotted <laughs> and he sent it to me. But unfortunately to the like left, you could see uh, like the products of conception and the retained pregnancy, which was just like something that you're like, oh, wow. Like it, it makes it very, very real yeah. when you see that. You know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about you struggling with your body kind of failing you over these three and a half years. And did this answer of this, it's a septum. Um, did that make you feel better about that? Because I think, you know, we've talked a lot about, Oh, I was, I was an athlete. I was an Olympian. My body's never failed me now over all these years. I just like, can't seem to get it to work. But I think you thought of it as this like macro 
like my entire body is just failing. But now we know the micro issue potentially, which is this small, stupid piece of, you know, residual scar, s- scar tissue. tissue. Yeah. So did you have like a re- rejuvenated sense of self and body at that point? I did. It almost felt like, okay, Tara, like, we're going back to square one now and you have this healthy, fertile body and it's okay. And I think I just had such a sense that it, it was just like such a sense of relief that I was like, our answer, I don't have to keep searching for an answer. This is it. And it just felt like I wasn't in fight or flight mode anymore. I was just relaxed. And I was like, my body knows what to do. Like we are able to do this now. We have the clean slate that we needed. It's also worth pointing out at this point, you were hitting a interesting milestone, I guess, in life, right? Well, yeah, I was about to turn 40. Big four zero, And I don't know what it is. We talk about this with the holidays, but the surgery ended up a day before my birthday. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of depressing. It, again, you want to start your birthday like, fresh year. This is like the fourth birthday that yeah. has either been yeah. a surgery, a, a an endosurgery, mis- a miscarriage. So Dublin died <laughs> the day before my birthday. Like I was just like, all right. I got genital warts <laughs> on your birthday. Again, <laughs> not back. true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I just felt like, wow, this is kind of depressing to go for a DNC you know, on your birthday and I'm 40. And it's like, I think a lot of people feel like the big 4-0, like that's when everyone feels old. And it was so strange. I couldn't even feel those feelings because I was so focused on I'm turning 40 and I don't have a baby yet. I'm turning 40 and 40 is that universal marker for fertility is dropping. And if someone asks me, oh, how old are you? And I say 40 and they say, do you have a kid? Like, and I say no, then in my mind, I'm thinking they just think that like, I'm no longer fertile and can't have children. And it really was a struggle for me to have this birthday and I love birthdays. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love a birthday. What's funny is you love a good birthday. And on this birthday, I think, you know, as you were 40, I think you even had a discussion with me like, hey, like we're still going through all the surgeries and figuring out our fertility. Like, let's just have like a very chill birthday, which was something I never thought would come out of your mouth. But I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to think that it was happening. I didn't want to be 40 with all of these problems and still no child in sight, like no pregnancy in sight. I just wanted to pretend it wasn't happening. Yeah, you kind of didn't want to acknowledge it. And I think you even had a conversation with me where you said something like, I just don't want to party. I don't want to have to like all these people that come up to me and I stand there all night and tell them about our fertility stuff. Yeah, I know I had this surgery and like, hopefully I'll be pregnant and they're all pitying me, probably thinking like, oh, I don't know. You know, like I just didn't want to have to think about it. And now a quick word from our sponsors. First Response is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and provide accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. First Response knows that when testing for pregnancy, you want to be sure of your result. That's why they created Comfort Check, a pregnancy test kit that helps you test confidently and conveniently. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is a value pack containing eight total tests, three First Response Early Result Tests, and five First Response Pregnancy Test Strips, allowing women to test early and often for added reassurance. 
First Response's early result test included in the Comfort Check Kit is their number one best-selling pregnancy test. It detects all major forms of the pregnancy hormone commonly found in urine and is over 99% accurate from the day of your expected period, with results ready to be read in just three minutes. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is available for purchase in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. I wanted to give you more information about Receptiva DX. I feel very lucky that I was able to take this test and remove some of the mystery out of my own fertility journey. A diagnosis of unexplained infertility is difficult and miscarriage is traumatic. So I'm thankful there's a test like Receptiva DX that can provide insight and answers that many people are desperately seeking. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that can help detect inflammatory conditions on the uterine lining that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. If you have experienced implantation failure or recurrent pregnancy loss, ask your doctor about Receptiva DX testing. If found, uterine inflammation can be treated, providing a new pathway to achieving a successful pregnancy. Treatment options can improve the chances for a successful live birth fivefold. To learn more, please visit ReceptivaDX.com or ask your doctor if this test is right for you. I absolutely love Kat Schneider's story of how Ritual came to be. She built the company while she was pregnant because she couldn't find a prenatal she trusted. And trust is key with a prenatal. You want peace of mind knowing you are getting the vital nutrients needed during this important time. I personally researched so many different prenatal vitamins on my quest to find the perfect option for me. And the winner was the Essential for Women Prenatal. I knew that I could rely upon this prenatal for all of my pregnancy needs, plus all of my nutrient needs during my long journey with IVF. I also knew I was nourishing my body with ingredients that were key for not only pregnancy, but for my prep to pregnancy. Plus their citrus or mint essence capsules are designed to be gentle on the stomach. So you can take them when you want, with or without food, which made life a lot easier. So why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash Tara to start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. So you have the surgery, you come out, and what was the recovery like? So the recovery was really good in this surgery. Um... And again, I just want to preface that because I know everyone goes in, you know, to these endosurgeries and has different experiences and different types of recoveries. But I also think sometimes it's nice, you know, to hear about recoveries that go very smoothly because think back to to when I was so afraid to ever even get this surgery. So for anyone listening that is afraid, know that there are outcomes where, you know, the recovery is, 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 is quite smooth. And, um, we were in Northern California to see Dr. Najad, and I remember we stayed at a little hotel. And you were my you were my nurse, and you were so sweet. When I came back, you were a pro. Now you knew exactly what to get me. Um, all the little you know remedies for that shoulder pain that I was going to have from what is it the phrenic nerve? So they fill your, your your belly with gas, and then it hits that, and then for three days it's this like crazy pain going up your shoulder where you can't feel it, where you feel like you can't breathe. Um, but everything was set up and, you know, the first two days were kind of the hardest, um, but I was kind of walking around and 
I kind of felt really okay after that. You know, every day just progressively got better. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you sort of willed yourself to feel okay. Like the funniest part of that, the almost the only thing I remember <laughs> about that trip was we were there obviously for the surgery, but then also kind of stayed for your birth because again, you didn't really want to do anything special right. for your birthday necessarily. So we stayed and I just remember like a day or two <laughs> days after the surgery when you still should have been in bed. I was like, I'm up, I'm good, let's yeah, go. Yeah, like, let's go do something. <laughs> and we like went to a winery and played like cornhole <laughs> and you were like a day out of surgery, like major surgery and you're like throwing bean bags. And we have video of this. We have video of this because do you remember the important part of the story here? No. I beat you. Oh, no, you did. I did 100%. And you have you have that video of you throwing the bags up in the air because you were so oh, angry. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That yeah. is right. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, my wife just had major surgery, so maybe <laughs> I let her win. Oh, no, you didn't. I actually didn't. <laughs> I never let you win you at know, anything. Nothing. It's well, really I never annoying. win at anything. Uh, yeah, you do. Some board games. Yeah, Monopoly. Yeah. Have we told any of the Monopoly stories? Early is, on in our, our relationship, it, Monopoly almost ended our No, first of all, <laughs> guys, we don't have to really get into this because we'll probably end up fighting. I've never seen someone more competitive and angry over Monopoly. <laughs> like, but no, I mean, we talked about uh, last episode about how you you never get irrationally mad at me ever, except for like the Northmen. And that was like one example <laughs> of that. Like, I forgot about Monopoly. I was wrong. Like you get so pissed off and you like, no, you will okay. flip. Can, you know, the, you know, the, like when people get I mad never and they flip they board. flip boards. No, you, I, I do you not. essentially do that. No, because I will tell you You take why. your whole forearm and just oh, wipe see, the whole he's board. he's being dramatic here because as a skater, you can never kick the ice. You can never disrespect your coach when you made a mistake. So I say I've, very calm. I've seen you throw a thimble. Yeah, I have not <laughs> thrown a thimble. I'm just going to tell you this. Where Todd really struggles in Monopoly is terrorize no, every property wait, she yes. lands okay, on. Wait, wait, hold which on is, a second. It takes Please. the fun out of the game. Guys, see, no matter if it's the $60 one I'm or if it's boardwalk, I'm triggering she buys him. it. I'm triggering him and I have a strategy. He hates my strategy and then he's upset also, because I own the whole fucking board. I'm sorry, I win. This is the other thing. It's her <laughs> whole family. If we play as a family, they all have that strategy. <laughs> so everyone just buys everything they yes. land on. It takes the fun out of That's it. That's how I probably learned so my strategy. It's just luck of the draw. And then in in our family games, whoever just happens to land on the better properties is the one who doesn't wipe Guys, the whole board and flip it. he's just upset that I have a good strategy. Okay, let's get back to All right, to the anyway. Story. So yeah, you beat me at cornhole. <laughs> <laughs> but we laugh, but you actually did have a complication on the trip that got yeah. bad. It got really bad. So what they did, I forgot to mention this, is when he was inside of my uterus because he found other scar tissue from previous DNCs, he wanted to make sure also that that septum didn't grow back any scar tissue since I've already had that problem. And how they fix that is they put a balloon inside your uterus, which ugh, like no one wants Sounds a pleasant. blown up balloon inside <laughs> your small I mean, it was your uterus. Birthday. Happy <laughs> birthday. <laughs> no, Dr. Najat actually would prefer one outside of my body. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, so it just, it keeps everything expanded in there. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. They're like blowing up this balloon inside of you. <laughs> oh man, it's so sad. And then, um, so it was fine for like the first five days. I want to keep it in like a week, but all of a sudden I started and I was trying to ignore it, right? Just this unbelievable cramping. But again, it, it, for me, any type of cramping is not, not the real issue. It's the endo pain that results from 
that cramping. And I was like doubled over in bed one night when it got really bad. And I was so nauseated and, you know, sick. I was just- You were bad. I was, it was really bad. It was really bad. I like laid in the shower for like six hours because I was like, I, I, I'm in so much pain. And I felt like the heat of the shower, nothing was helping. I was having all this crazy butt zings and, you know, like cramping. Um, and we called Dr. Najat because I was like, I'm going to go to the hospital. Yeah, like, we were going to maybe go somewhere. Yeah, I was I was like begging you to take me to the hospital at, at a certain point. Um, and he's like, no, it's the balloon. We just got to get it out. It's, it's time. So I made it through the night and we went in and he took it out and it was immediate relief. Um, but yeah, that was the one small hiccup. Other than that, it was it was a really kind of smooth wine guzzling recovery. Oh, yeah, besides for the <laughs> balloon that almost killed me, it was totally smooth. <laughs> so the surgery's over, obviously. So we have the surgery; it's successful. We think. Um, what's the plan now for transfers? So after the surgery, I needed to recover, and they put me on high dose estrogen which I was like, oh boy, what's this going to be like? But they put you on a very high dose of estrogen to help prevent scarring um, because I had some scarring in my uterus and I they didn't want that septum thing to grow back at all. Um, so we stayed on that for a month and then we were about to get ready to transfer another embryo. I hate saying this again because I feel like we've said it a couple times, but like <laughs> this was, if there was any time to say it, it's now and that this is the transfer where it, it should work. Like there was kind of no doubt for me. I know there wasn't any doubt for you that this was the biggest, you know, moment, I guess, in our journey. Because this is the Olympics of embryo transfers for us. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, we've been through three and a half years of stuff, a lot of ups and downs trying to figure out what this was. And this was the first time where it almost seemed to like a consensus of like, Oh, like there's a septum here. There, you know, it it's obviously prevents pregnancy very often. So we removed it. Um, right. So it just felt like the stakes were so high on this because if it wasn't the septum or if it didn't work, yes, it again could be this percentage of a chance that it's just nature, but it but just felt no, like it had to it work. It just had, it had to work because for me, the stakes were so high and I just found myself in this, you know, I was just like trying to be calm as I prepared for this transfer but it was hard. It really almost felt like going to the Olympics. Like it was like, oh, pretend it's not happening and everything's cool. And you're just skating and practicing at home and don't worry. But in your mind, you're like, no, this is the biggest night of my life. And I kind of felt that every time I, you know, went into the clinic for a scan and we're getting closer. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is going to tell our story. Yeah. And if it didn't work, it was kind of just going to be like, throw your hands up at that point. Cause like, what else could it be? I, I mean, I remember just feeling I couldn't even think about the next possible step. You know, in the beginning, it was easy. It was like, oh, we need to try this. Oh, that's a step. Oh, I have a plan within a few days after a failure. And it was just getting harder and harder. It was like, well, let me let me find what that next plan is. And it would take a few weeks. Now it'd be like, I don't know. There is no plan. <laughs> well, to that point too, of like trying to figure everything out and basically having done it, you had around this time or a little earlier done a miscarriage panel, like blood work, right? Like what did that reveal? So that's interesting. That's when they take 
Like, I'm not kidding you. Like 25 vials of blood in one sitting. Yeah, like, have, I think you have some video of it. I That's have cool. video of it. And you sit down. I remember sending it to you and you think like you're just going for a few vials and he just keeps pulling. Oh, here's a purple. Here's a purple. Here's By the a way, I feel like I'm revealing too much about myself on this podcast about like what a wimp I am. But when I, I almost passed out from seeing the video you sent me because I get like two vials taken and I start to do, get the wobbly. Like I've stood up and been like lightheaded and almost fallen over from giving like two vials. Like I can't give blood. It like makes me woozy. Yeah. Well, this was 25 vials of blood. Yeah, and, I couldn't do it. And okay. Two things on this. First off, I have a thing about the miscarriage panel and when people test for this. A lot of clinics I've, you know, just researched because I'm interested in this and I've talked to friends. A lot of clinics will not run this panel until you've had a miscarriage, two miscarriages, sometimes three miscarriages. And I have no idea why. Like this needs to change. It's to me, it should be something that is preventative. You go in and before you have or lose a pregnancy, you test this because there could be a problem that is easily fixed by you taking a Lovenox shot, which is a blood thinner. And so many women go through miscarriage after miscarriage and then they find this on this test and it's the solution. It's like the septum, it's an easy solution. So it really blows my mind why some clinics wait so long. Now I did mine earlier, but then I wanted to do it again now because I just was like, again, let's retest and make sure nothing has changed throughout all these pregnancies. But the thing that really gets me about this time that I did this blood work is I get a call the next day and they're like, I'm so sorry, Tara, but you need to come in and retake this blood panel. And I'm like, why? And they're like, it got like lost in the truck and it <laughs> got overheated and they can't use it. And I had to go in and redo the whole thing like the next day. Like, what are the chances? Yeah, I, w I feel like if that were me, I'd have been like, eh, like, I just won't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I have to it. point this out about you. There was one day we were going in, I think it was either for a transfer or a DNC and we're in the car and I forgot to tell you this the night before, but I was like, oh, Todd, Dr. Beck just wants you to take um, a blood test, meaning like one small vial of blood. No, probably two. No, most likely one. <laughs> and I mean, I'm going in for either a DNC procedure or for like a retrieval. Like I'm going in for a procedure and he looks over at me and he's like, oh my goodness, why didn't you tell me this? Like- I needed to I, mentally I, I, I prepare. Need to, I need to- oh. It was like I, I was asking him to go do the procedure. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I'm not even defending myself. I, yeah. I'll admit I'm a wimp and <laughs> didn't, don't want to give blood. And I have to look away. Do you look away? No, I look right at can it. You, you can watch the, the needle go in your vein. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Now I can. I mean, what's crazy is my, my left arm, <laughs> like I've taken so much blood throughout this. It's just like full scar tissue. So they have to like... Really dig oh, it in. Even. <laughs> okay, we won't go there. Okay, go we on. We talk about our hamstrings. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a thing we talk about where you're watching something that is like a surgery or something too graphic or just like a bad injury and the back of your hamstrings kind of like- Tingles. Get, like fuzzy. Todd and I both have this. Yeah. Whenever we're watching a movie and we see like some sort of medical thing, I'm like, oh, oh my hamstrings, hamstrings. are tingling. <laughs> So just to keep everyone updated on the timeline, that surgery was in June around your birthday of 2022. And then we eventually do our fifth transfer in July, late July, I think July 24th, 2022. Um, you know, and 
doing all these transfers and having failures, you start to get a little superstitious. So I know on this one, which we thought was going to be the one, you were equally superstitious even in like what you were wearing. I remember you'd like worry about, oh, I wore this on this failure and I wore this on this. I need something that's like clean and will be the happy outfit. Yeah, I feel like it started a few years ago where, you know, sometimes I would wake up and I'd be like, retrieval day, I'm going to put on my cozy little sweats. And then I'd realize like, oh, that was a failed retrieval. So the next time I'd go in for a retrieval, I'd be like, oh, I got to switch that up because that one was unlucky. And then I just got to the point here where I was like, I don't know if it's like the athlete superstitious thing in me, but I was just like, I would, it would take me like 15 minutes. I'd be like, is that the one that's going to be lucky? No, that feels unlucky. That feels like it's a failure. Like, okay. And then I'd be like, do I wear these sweats? Like, did I ever wear these sweats? No, I did wear these sweats. And that was a failure. Like I didn't even, I was like overwhelmed in what to wear to the clinic. Like this is how crazy it was getting. This also just reminded me of one of my favorite things about you that you do a lot. Uh, well, I love it about you, but... But I, you hated I, it? I kind of hated it about, <laughs> about you too. No, Tara has kept... And let me just finish this story oh, before no. you interrupt and start defending yourself. Oh boy. Tara has kept every item of clothing she has ever worn, particularly... Oh. She particularly cherishes her... 2000 to 2006 attire. Yes. So randomly, I'll be on the couch <laughs> with Sullivan, like watching TV at the end of the night, and she'll come down, like wearing some like pink tracksuit from 2001, and like, hey, like I don't know, I, I don't think I should throw this away. I should keep this, right? It's cute, right? That's her thing. It's cute, right? <laughs> it <laughs> cute, is, right? And I'm like, no, that's not. I love you. You are cute. But, that but that Todd, item of clothing oh, from so pink. <laughs> remember, what is it? Pink. That's pink. like Victoria's Secrets, yeah, like pink. teen wear. Yeah, teen wear. I love it. I still love pink. <laughs> you still come down and like pink stuff. I'm like, please but throw that so out. What's so funny is the other day I was like kind of cleaning up my closet. And I went to throw away one of my like pink pajama sets. And you're like, no, keep it. I, there's one that I really like. <laughs> I call it the motocross because it looks like a weird like t-shirt a motocross competitor would wear. <laughs> That's like a number. It's like number 89. Like, what are you wearing? <laughs> you go from like high fashion to pink in like Yeah, you know, I like seconds. to mix it up. So you pick out the perfect outfit. We go in again, end of July, 2022 and do the transfer and all these, we've said it, all these transfers are interesting because they are very anticlimactic. You go in and yeah, you see the little spark on the monitor, but it's not like you really know anything for a few days, right? Yeah. You have to wait it out. And you know, the first two days are kind of easy. It's like, you know, you have really nothing to worry about. It's this hopeful feeling and you're home eating warm foods and wearing socks and doing all the lucky IVF things and watching movies. And then the fear just starts to creep in as you're waiting. And I always had, you know, some specific symptoms that would happen like implantation cramping types of things. So I was always like on high alert, you know, my body, I was just always waiting and feeling and um, waiting to wake up on day five and test. Well, that's the thing you talk, we talk about the transfer being this like big moment. It's actually not at all. It's like, you know, in previous transfers, we're playing like our wedding song and all this. We actually should have been playing our wedding song and getting hyped up for like that first pregnancy test yes. on day five because we had known at this point so well that that was such an important test for us. Yes. Way more important than the implantation right. of the right. of the transfer. Right, exactly. Know? So you tested on day four. What was, did you see anything? I saw a little squinter. Yep. I, day four. Day four. I couldn't believe 
my eyes. I just remember walking down the hallway and looking at the pregnancy test and being like, this is it. This is what people that get pregnant, you know, through IVF that have these, you know, at home test results that are good. This is what it feels like. And it feels freaking amazing. Yeah. It's for the first time where like expectations were consistent with the result. You know, it's like we had a surgery to remove a septum should, should allow pregnancy to be more successful. And then we have a test and it's like, we see a line. We've never really seen a line on day four. Yeah. So it was like easy. Yeah. It was just, it was working and it felt so normal. It felt so good. It felt so exciting. It was awesome. So then, you know, day five, you test obviously again and it sort of gets darker, right? Yeah. It looks good. It looks like it's progressing from the day before and it looks like it's working. So the same thing kind of on day six, it was getting a little darker and it seemed like it was It seemed okay. like it was good. And yeah. then it was day seven, something just started not to look so right. It wasn't, I was like, is it lighter than day six? And like in this area is when you're at risk for chemical pregnancy, which I've never had. And, um, you know, it was just so weird because in the morning I would go to the bathroom <laughs> take my test and then run back into bed because it was so early and I'd sit there with my, you know, four tests or whatever it was and compare them and look at them and, you know, have sweet, intimate time with my little pregnancy <laughs> test <laughs> where I would just, you know, analyze. And I was like analyzing and I was like, ooh, something doesn't feel right. And I could just tell. I was like, it's not, the line's like not getting darker. So that's on day seven. And the next, honestly, the next like four or five days literally could be a podcast <laughs> series in themselves. It was so crazy kind of what transpired, but we ended up going to Vegas. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. This episode has been sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. Their Comfort Check Pregnancy Kit and all other products are available for purchase in-store and online.